Recently, I had some siding on our house near the top of the chimney that was starting to come off. And I had no way of getting a ladder positioned to be able to reach it that way. So what I needed to do was to climb on top of the roof and then go up towards the chimney to uh, fix the siding that was falling off. And um, for me, climbing on a roof in one way is not a big deal because I don't really have a fear of heights, so that wasn't a problem. But the problem was when climbing on a roof, there's this grade or this angle, this pitch that you have to deal with, and that's what makes me uncomfortable. And so I don't have a lot of confidence in my shoes gripping to the shingles. I don't have a a lot of confidence in my ability to balance when the roof is on an angle like that. And if you had been walking by our house the day I was trying to fix the siding on my chimney, I guarantee you, because my wife had the same reaction, that you would have had some laughs as you watched me gingerly and carefully walk up, (laughs) and then, I'll be honest with you guys, go on my behind and kind of slowly go down towards the ladder on the way down. Now, it's good to be careful on top of a roof. I'd highly advise it for you as well. And the reason is because of something that we don't think about a ton, but we know exists. And if we don't think about it, it can hurt you. You know what that thing is? Gravity. Gravity. Gravity is something that's always there. You live your life knowing that if you drop something, unless maybe it's filled with helium, it's going to fall and potentially break. And so it's good to remember that gravity exists, whether you're climbing around on a roof or you're sitting underneath a huge tree in a massive windstorm or you're carrying four dozen eggs under your arms from the store into the car. It's so important to remember that gravity exists. Now, hold that for a moment, because I'm going to come back to it in just a second. But what we're doing right now is we are in a series where we're talking all about prayer. And the way that we're sort of doing that is by taking a look at um, a model prayer that Jesus taught. We've come to know it as the Lord's Prayer. And over the last six weeks, as you know, we've been taking line by line, what do each of these petitions or part of the the prayer mean? And our goal in this series was not just to learn some things about the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to be kind of direct. If the only thing you got out of this series is a few head nods and, oh, I didn't know that before, but your prayer life has not changed at all, whether it's what you're praying for or the frequency or whatever, I am not content with the outcome of this series. 
James writes that a wise person doesn't just listen to the word, but instead a wise person does what it says. And that was the biggest goal for me. That was my prayer for this congregation, for those who are online, is that it wouldn't just be some things that, oh, I didn't know that before, but instead that it would transform our prayer lives because prayer is such a huge part of our relationship with God. Today, we are going to conclude by looking at uh, this phrase near the end of his prayer, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not, Lord, into temptation. So is that a thing? Would God lead us into temptation to sin? The Bible makes it clear that's nothing that a holy, perfect God would do for the the children that he loves. He would not lead us into temptation. So what are we praying for then? If this is not something God would do, what are we praying for? You might want to write this down, but this is how I would say it. We're praying in this petition. We're asking God, first of all, to remind us of temptation's danger. Um, If Jesus hadn't included temptation in his model prayer, I wonder if we would regularly pray about it. Jesus is reminding us of temptation's danger and that we should pray about this. It's a topic to pray about. And then we're asking God to protect and strengthen us when we face it. To protect and strengthen us when we face temptation to sin. Because here's something I know about your life and all of our lives. It's this, in a sinful world, you will face temptation. Earlier, I mentioned that gravity is something that's all around us, and we would be dumb if we we're oblivious to it. We'd be dumb if we were not aware of it. We could hurt ourselves if we were not aware <laughs> that gravity was around. The same thing's true of temptation. It's like gravity. It's all around us, whether we want it to be or not. It doesn't have to hurt us, but if we're not aware of it, if we're oblivious to temptation and what it can lead to, we're going to hurt ourselves, just like a person might hurt themselves while they're climbing on a roof. And, and honestly, the, the battle with temptation is the most important battle you could face. It's the most important battle in our lives. We talk about this often here at North Cross, and in fact, it's a theme that's going to come up in our Revelation series as well. But here's what Paul says about the reality of our lives on earth. Um, Our struggle, the core of our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not the neighbor. It's not the, the coworker. It's not the person who voted the way, the other way than what you voted. It's not a, it's not a TV station or a news station. Our struggle at the heart of it, at the root, is against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
and, and that battle that you feel that we need to be aware of is one that you will continue to face in varying degrees until that day that either Jesus returns or we die. It's a battle. Here's what Peter says. He says, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ah, I love the reality that Jesus has got this. And we're going to learn some things about temptation in um, the verses we're going to look at in just a moment that there is no need to fear the devil. But he's not just some cartoon character with red horns and a tail and a pitchfork. That I think we do ourselves a disservice to think about the devil as a cartoon character. God talks about him as a lion who can raise havoc and wants nothing more than to blow up your life. He wants to take away your confidence. He wants to rip away your joy. And do you know what his biggest goal is? He wants to rip you away from God altogether. This is the battle that we face every single day. And as we, we talk, as we think about temptation and the devil's part in that, our sinful nature's part in that, I, I want you to understand the reality of temptation. It's our first fill-in for today. First of all, temptation is not a sin. To be tempted by something is not a sin. Do you know one of the reasons why I know that? <laughs> think about Jesus. He was tempted probably every day of his life by the devil. And yet, he never fell to that temptation. He was the sinless son of God and yet tempted by the devil all the time. So temptation in and of itself is not a sin. But instead, when you feel tempted, it's a call to battle. It's a call to remember there are reasons why I should stay away from whatever I'm being tempted to do. It's a reason to remember that our decisions when we're tempted, they matter. And they have consequences, whether good if we stay away from that temptation or bad. And so... As we consider this part of the Lord's Prayer, there's a couple things I want to, to do with you today. First of all, I, I want to talk to you more about why you should pray this, whether it's the, the one line in the Lord's Prayer or whether you take that model part of the prayer about temptation and, and you pray about it for 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it might be. So why you should pray this, and then number two, what to expect from God when we ask him to lead us not into temptation. And to do that, we're going to be looking at some words that a first century pastor named Paul wrote to some Christians in the city of Corinth. Now, in today's day, Corinth 
is really not a famous city uh, in our world or an important city in our world right now. But back then, it was the premier city in Greece. It, it was bigger and better and more important than even Athens. And so the people of Corinth were very affluent. And frankly, they were very, they were very worldly. They came to a lifestyle where they did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whomever they wanted. Their lifestyle generally uh, consisted of, among other things, um, parties and indulging all of the sexual sort of desires that they would have and just living for themselves. So Paul comes in the first century to that town in Greece. And listen what he preaches. It's in the second chapter of the letter we're going to be looking at. Paul writes, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In a town where people were looking to fulfill the whole in their lives and in their hearts with all the things this world can offer, Paul comes and says, you know, at the heart of what I was all about when I was with you, Corinthians, because he's writing this years later after he had left Corinth, he's like, don't, don't you remember? I was all about Jesus. My main message, the heart of what I was here for was about Jesus Christ and him crucified and what he gives you rather than what you can take from the world. The way that Jesus fills the void in our hearts and in our lives rather than trying to fill that void on our own. And, and there was a, a large group, we don't know how big, but a large group of people in Corinth who began to follow Jesus, who came to faith, who came to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And things changed for them. Life was not perfect, but their focus was different. And then, Jesus, and then Paul left. He was a church planner. And so after about 18 months in Corinth, he went on to another area around the Mediterranean and began to start a church in a different town. And you know what? You know where the uh, Corinthians went? Nowhere. They stayed in Vegas. I mean, uh, Corinth. But it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> this city filled with so many different temptations. And as, as Paul's sharing the gospel in another town, he gets word that things aren't going well in Corinth. That these people who learned that Jesus was their savior and their hope, that the temptations in their city, the temptations all around them had, starting, had started to get their hearts. And it's not that they had rejected Jesus altogether. It's just, you know, can I have both? Can I have Jesus and then also just kind of, you know, fulfill all of the desires of my heart, whether it's God-pleasing or not. Can I have both? Can I have it all? 
And Paul's concerned because you know what's happening? It's not just that they're being tempted. They're, they're falling to those temptations. And so what Paul does is he gives them an example. He writes to them. You can read it in chapter 10 for yourself. He, he writes to them about how that went when the Israelites did it in the wilderness. How did things go for the Israelites when they fell to temptation? And he gives them some examples of how it did not go well. And then he writes this to the Corinthians and 2,000 years later to us. These things happened to them, to the Israelites in the wilderness as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Just a quick comment on that phrase. The culmination of the ages is the fulfillment of Jesus Christ's coming, his death, his resurrection. These were the people who who lived just like us in a season where Jesus, the promised savior, had come, the culmination of the ages. So as you think back to the Israelites, as I consider how you're handling temptation, If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If I climbed on my roof to fix the siding and wasn't careful, pretended like gravity didn't exist and it's not a big deal, who would do that? And what would happen? I would fall and I would hurt myself. And today's message, these words from Paul from 2,000 years ago are are a call to us 2,000 years later as we think of the example of the Israelites, as we think of the example of the Corinthians, that temptation is real and that we need to be careful so that we don't fall. Because when we fall, it means we fall into sin, into a way that is, well, contrary to God's direction for us. And um, in the moment, and I'm, I'm human, just like you. I have a sinful nature, just like you. I live in a sinful world, just like you. So I know how it is. And in the moment, sin it can seem so appealing. It can seem so easy. It is the way of our hearts naturally. But what I want you to know is our second fill-in for today. This is a rule. It will never be proved otherwise. Sin will always over-promise and under-deliver. What I mean by that is when we're tempted to go in a way or a direction or make a decision that's outside of God's will for us, it will always feel like it's going to bring us whatever it is that we're looking for in the moment or for our lives, and it never, ever, at least ultimately, fulfills that. In fact, it usually sin does, leaves us feeling worse than we did before. And so you know what I would call temptation? Do you know what 
Paul is referencing temptation to be if sin always over promises and under delivers. <laughs> sin is a, a trap. I'm sorry, temptation is a trap that we need to be aware of. I brought something with me today that um, some of you will recognize. You guys know what this is? In Minnesota, we do. I don't know about the rest of the country, but what, uh, what this is is a trap for those lovely Japanese beetles that we get in our trees and um, in our yards. I put my first one up about two weeks ago, and it is entirely filled with beetles. I need to actually put this one out there after the services today. So how it works, if you're not aware of this, is that there's this little yellow uh, puck or disc that has some sweet-smelling aromas that are fine for me, but beetles, I mean, you got to know beetles. They just love that smell, I guess. But anyway, it attracts them, and then they kind of get in here behind where the, the puck is, and what happens is they're attracted, they're tempted by the scent, and then they can't fly out, and they, um, they fall into the bag. I was, I was looking in the bag a couple days ago, and I commented to Carrie, like, I know that um, beetles don't have feelings, but man, that's got to be the absolute worst way to die. You see all these beetles, and they're all like doing their beetle thing, and they can't get out. They're all dying together, claustrophobic. I mean, just horrible. Whoever invented these traps, I don't know. But they're tempted by the puck. They fall into the bag, and through temptation, they die. When it comes to our lives, the reality is, is that temptation overpromises and sin overpromises and underdelivers. And just think about this for a moment. If you were a beetle and you knew what would happen if you got too close to the puck, as much as you love the smell, would smelling the scent for a few seconds, would that be worth dying with hundreds of other beetles? <laughs> the answer to that is obvious. And the comparison to our lives, while not perfect, is something to think about. What are the things that tempt you? What is the frame of mind or the way you use your time or schedule or the things that you do that you know are not good, but they, they tempt you? Do you know that when, when you fall to it, that sin will overpromise and underdeliver? I thought it'd be good to, to point out a few things that people regularly struggle with, different temptations, and just to talk them through very briefly. Um, first one, um, alcohol and drugs. A temptation. A temptation when people are feeling quite low or feeling like um, their life's not fulfilled or wanting just to find more in life. And do you know why so many people use alcohol and illegal drugs? Because when it comes to lifting our spirits, or maybe in a different way, dulling them, 
they work in the short term. But I want to let you know, it's a trap. And, and once we start trying to fill that hole with things like this, what happens is we become dependent on it. And we need more, and we need more. And pretty soon, it can happen where you look back and you realize, you know what? These things control my life, and I don't anymore. Or how about this one in our internet world? Pornography. Unfortunately, there has never been a time in the history of the world where finding images and videos that are sinful and not helpful has been easier. This is the easiest time in the world to watch and see pornography. It's a trap. Did you know study after study shows that this is one of the greatest things that can actually minimize and harm intimacy in a married relationship or for young people in a future marriage relationship. It sets expectations that are just not real. It creates this illusion that Sex is just to fulfill my own personal desires rather than what God created it to be, which was an amazing thing to be shared between a husband and a wife together. How about this one? Career. Not bad on its own. But I think there comes a point in most of our lives where we have an opportunity and we have the opportunity to maybe chase a career that is going to help our bank accounts, but possibly, on the flip side, make it really hard to lead and manage a godly life. And do you know what we do in that moment? Some of us, at least. We say, you know what? Only for a season. Let's just do this. I know it's more than we can handle, but if we just do it for a few years, then we're going to get out ahead and we're going to be fine. Let me tell you. Most of the time, it's a trap. Because what happens is, your spending, it comes to continue to grow to the level of what we have. And pretty soon, you're trapped in a lifestyle that you know does not allow you to have godly priorities. And you look back on your life and you recognize, man, I spent most of my life being stressed out, running all over the place, and not being able to focus on the things that are most important. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, holding a grudge is a temptation, and it leads to the lack of being able to love people the way that Christ told us to love, eating too much, being lazy, working too much, sex outside of marriage, spending too much. They're all traps. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is what he's saying to you. It's this, be careful that you don't fall. And as Jesus teaches his model prayer, 
He makes sure to make temptation and praying about these battles that we have every single day a part of that prayer. He wants his, his people 2,000 years later, just like the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, to recognize the battle and to pray for God to strengthen and to encourage us in it. And then Paul has some great encouragement for us. The next verse says this. First of all, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What he's saying there is the same temptations, at least the root of them, that the Israelites were facing, the root of those are the same things that you're facing, Corinthians. And the things that we're facing 2,000 years later are the same that the Corinthians had faced as well. And, and the comfort in this is, is this, that if you feel like you're someone who is facing a temptation that no one can help you with and that God doesn't understand, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In fact, Jesus probably faced the same one. He is able to empathize with us because he lived on this earth as well. God will never see the thing you're facing and think, you know what? I don't know what to do with that. I've never seen this before. But instead, he perfectly understands and is there with you. Next verse. Paul says, God is faithful. I need to hear that. And the reason why I think it hits my heart so much is because it's the opposite of who I am. God is faithful to me all the time. He never breaks a promise. He's always there with his love and forgiveness. I'm unfaithful every single week. And I face temptation and I fall. And yet God is still there. And his faithfulness is seen the best when you look to the cross and you see how Jesus faithfully fulfilled the promise of the Father to be the, the Savior that we needed so that there is always Hope, number three, God's faithfulness because of Jesus' work on the cross means there is hope even when I fall. There is always hope for us because of God's faithfulness. So if you're someone who is in the midst of an addiction and it just feels like it's got grips on you, you need to acknowledge it. You need to bring some people into it but do not despair because God is faithful and there's hope. If you're someone that, as I talk about uh, pornography, it's just hitting you right here because you know that regularly you're viewing things that you shouldn't. I'm glad it's convicting, but I want you to know there's hope and that God has forgiven that sin through Jesus and he's going to walk with you out of it. There is hope in every and any situation. Even when we fall in big time, God is there with his big time love 
and forgiveness. And then verse 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I think Job is a good example of this, where God allowed some things, but only so much. The devil's real. The lion's on a leash. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's always hope in the midst of temptation, and there's always a way out of the trap. God is there with his strength and with his love. And as we close, as we pray this petition, as we ask God to give us strength, he also responds to us and says, but as I give you strength, I want you to know that you don't need to just sit on your hands, but there are some things you can do to fight in this battle. So I want to get practical with you as we close with three things that you can do, three ways to fight against temptation. First thing is to flee the situation. If you know alcohol's a problem, don't go to the bar. If you know that junk food is an issue, don't buy it. If you know that overspending is a problem, <laughs> is this a blanket statement? Just don't go to Target? <laughs> I mean, I do think, I hope we don't have any, you know, Target employees here, but I do think Target is kind of from the devil a little bit because you go for a stick of butter and you come home with sunglasses and a swimsuit. Like, how does that work? Flee the situation. If you know something is tempting, do all you can to flee it. Maybe it's friends. Maybe you need to get a new friend network. And it's not that you're mean or unloving to the old friend network, but you just slowly find new friends. Number two, create accountability. If you know something is tempting for you, one of the best things you can do is to bring other people who love you into it. When it comes to the internet, there are some great programs out there that allow you to designate someone privately that you know, that know you, that care about you. And one that I know of kind of gives them your search history. And when you're tempted, you recognize, I've got this accountability of my friend and he or she is going to see what I'm seeing. And it's helpful. Parents, and I will confess that Carrie and I have not done the best with this, but um, I'm passionate about it and I know we need to do better. Uh, I, I don't think any teenager with a phone should not have some accountability from mom and dad. There are so many things they can get into on that. And it's not that you don't love them. It's not you're being a helicopter parent. It's that we are creating accountability and that's our, that's our job, parents and the importance of that for our kids who are still learning what's right and what's wrong. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a growth group, whatever it might be. And then number three, 
dwell on God's promises. So in the midst of every temptation to sin is, you know what? Guess what? Is a lie. A lie of the devil in every temptation to sin. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. There's always a lie where the devil overpromises and then where sin underdelivers. So the more we can dwell in the midst of temptation to know where our joy, where our peace, where our confidence comes from, the more we can dwell on God's promises, God uses that to affirm in us what is good and what is right and to push the devil in that temptation out. 2,000 years ago, the disciples were watching Jesus pray. And they noticed it was different. They said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? 2,000 years later, we are still the beneficiaries of that model prayer. And my hope and my desire is that in this series, you didn't just learn something, but instead that we recognize what it is to pray for what we should pray for and the blessing and power of a growing prayer life. In fact, as we close today, as we close this series, uh, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, I'm going to set the pace verbally so that we can just not pray it quite as quickly and to think about each of the phrases that we went through um, in this series. And so I invite you to please stand at this time or um, online and invite you to join with us as we pray together this model prayer from Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is the new series that we're going to be starting next week. And in fact, it is probably a series that I've been asked about for well over 10 years. We've just never gotten to it. We're going to start a brand new teaching series on the book of Revelation. So for five weeks, uh, we're going to basically do our best to give you an overview of what's in that (laughs) mysterious book that everyone has questions about. And I just love the tagline for this series. I didn't come up with it. Um, We're borrowing it. But fear not tomorrow, because tomorrow is one. There's a lot in Revelation But if you could boil it all down to a phrase, fear not tomorrow, because tomorrow is one. And I look forward to going through that. There's going to be some supplementary videos every week to just kind of maybe explain some things that we weren't able to get to in the message. So really looking forward to this starting next week. So um, you won't want to miss that, whether online or in person.